everyone. I'm Gabriel Stellion Shanks. I'm the Artistic Director of the Drama League, and welcome to In Conversation. Um, this is the Drama League's intimate series exploring the work of some of the world's greatest directors. You can find more about us in the description at dramaleague.org, which is linked. Uh, it includes all of our support services for directors during this time, uh, as well as their collaborators, opportunities for audience members, and a wealth of resources. So please join us at dramaleague.org. Um, today, I am really excited to be joined by Moritz von Stuttmagel, uh, the Tony-nominated director of Broadway's Bernhard Hamlet, starring Janet Teer, Present Laughter with Kevin Kine, and of course, the smash comedy Hand to God by Robert Askins, which Moritz uh, went from off-of-Broadway to off-Broadway to Broadway in the West End with. Um, his relationships with playwrights include some of the best working in America today. Uh, of course, Teresa Rebeck and Mike Liu and Larissa Fasthorse. Um, so I'm excited to talk about that. I am also really proud to note that Moritz is an alumnus of the Drama League Directors Project with us and one of the most generous artists I've met. Um, hi, Moritz. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? Thrilled to be here. Thank you for letting me be the guinea pig. I am so glad you're here. Thanks for doing this in this incredibly weird time, in this incredibly weird way. Yeah. Um, let me start with, uh, are you safe? How are you doing? I'm safe. I'm secure. My immediate family is healthy. Thank God. Knock on wood. All those things. So uh, we're doing okay. And just trying to support the people that we know who are, are figuring out, you know, uh, whatever difficult time they're in. Were you in rehearsal for something or preparing for something when all of this came down? Uh, I was preparing for a couple things, and I had a show running in Los Angeles, found at I Am a Theater Company, that had to be canceled, unfortunately. Uh, and I'm I was preparing for two projects that have now been postponed. So, um, uh, and I have a, another one that will probably be postponed. We'll see what happens. So it's definitely a tumultuous time, and I think all of us as freelancers are trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen, and when is the next, you know, when's my next paycheck coming in, and are those things going to be canceled, and how do I sort of organize my life or my finances or uh, my career to, you know, to accommodate or deal with this whole thing. But, you know, I'm in the same boat as millions of people. And, you know, we're just going to figure out uh, how we move forward uh, out of this. And it's not going to be easy. And we're going to have to figure it out. Uh, you know, and I think, um, not to put too fine a point on it, but I think directors are um, going to be called upon in this moment to help iterate us out of what's happening. I, I know that uh, we should talk about all of your work uh, that's recent, but I'd love to start by talking about Studio 42, which was a company you had a number of years ago, and one of the things I loved about it was your interest in plays that were considered unproducible or impossible, and your fascination with the work of theater that, on first blush, can't be done. It feels to me like we need a Studio 42 today because so many of us are feeling this moment as impossible. I'd love to hear your talk about what interested you in that work and, and what you're thinking about today when we come back, when we start asking audiences to join us in spaces again. Okay, sure. So let's see where to start on that. Well, I guess on the best of days, there's always a point in the process where it feels like it cannot be done and we're never going to get there. So I think, you know, that kind of challenge is something that I think many of us are 
uh, uh, familiar with and, and have to face as a whole. Uh, you know, a Studio 42 was not started by me, but when I took over, we did put our focus on what we called unproducible plays, plays that are too big or too complicated or seemingly impossible, all the things that you're mentioning, uh, because there is some delightful challenge, both for the audience and the artists, in terms of what, do you, what can you do in a theater, in a theatrical space that can challenge the imagination or challenge the artist to create some kind of virtuosic event that will be memorable in, in some way? And what vocabulary can you build that uh, uh, facilitates that? And I think that's exactly the thing that's going to continue to be a skill that we're gonna need to be called upon. I've already been asked to see if I can uh, cut budgets for shows that may not even be happening. Do you know what I mean? So it's sort of like, how do I even approach the design process um, now, cutting the budget to some number that we're not quite sure about, and also, is the show even happening? And we're, that's an ongoing fluid conversation, and it's, and it's all part of the, the norm at this moment. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know that I'm thinking about what life's going to look like when we come back. And uh, I think right now I feel very much about we should take stock of what this moment is. Uh, I know we're all hungry for normalcy and we're hungry to get uh, our, some kind of certainty and stability back in our lives because that's been upended. But to a certain degree, I think this is a moment for taking stock of what is this gonna mean? What is our world gonna look like when we come out of this? And right now we can't know. And some people might be watching this months from now and maybe they'll have a clearer picture than we have in this moment right now and it's terrifying and frightening and all we can really do is support our loved ones and to some degree i'm not even thinking about art all that much uh i know that some people feel a real desire to keep busy and stay focused and be producing and be productive and to express themselves and yes i do have a creative impulse that's finding its way through baking or cooking or whatever it is. But I think to a certain degree, like uh, this to me is a moment of reflection and trying to connect with the people who are important to me. And uh, it's, it's about something bigger than my individual voice that I, I'm just trying to stay connected to those, those people. Uh, yes, I have ambitions and you know, all that, but this isn't that moment. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so I, I think hopefully those skills that I had at Studio 42 will be the things that will all of us have to continue to foster. I think on the best of days, um, limitation or, you know, uh, breeds um, creativity and, and uh, you know, uh, um, new ways or new methods for how we tell stories. But, um, you know, we'll sort of have to be reactive as we are as artists to whatever the world is that we're, we're facing and looking at. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's something, even in the best of times, directors have to be in dialogue about budgets and restrictions and those conversations. And the personalities in the room. Do you know what I mean? You have different personalities and you realize, okay, that, that actor needs to work this way. Their process just has to go this way. So it, it doesn't matter what, you know, what I, what I would like to accomplish on a certain day or, or what I, you know, have envisioned, it has to somehow translate through their body, through their process. So I actually have to be the most adaptable person in the room and, and listen. And then maybe that's just the kind of person that I am. I guess, I don't know, maybe some people get a lot of empowerment just by being dictators or whatever. Certainly there are those cliches of directors out in the world. But for me, I sort of feel like to find something that feels like everyone has ownership of it, like there's something holistic that we've built together 
uh, we just have to listen and be conscientious of one another and generous with one another. Um, and, and that will probably continue to be the thing that, you know, will, will only be helpful as we continue to make work. So when you think about that spirit of generosity, which it seems like defines your work both in this moment and before this moment, like, uh, I wonder what the techniques are that you employ say in the room to make sure that people feel that ownership, that people know that this is your perspective as a director, that this is a collaborative thing that they have ownership over. Or are there ways you sort of make sure that exists and that they know it? That's a great question. I, you know, I, I sort of feel like, um, you know, when someone's sort of fully in themselves and in their voice and, in, and, and can take ownership of something and uh, they feel empowered. And I think everything that I want to do is to make them feel uh, like they are excited to get out on stage, you know, that they have a, uh, a game that they can play or a curiosity that they can explore or something that they can be working towards. There's nothing, and maybe that's to do with the fact that I do a lot of comedy and, you know, I know how painful it is to be on stage in front of a bunch of people and have a joke fail. You know, you get an immediate response. You, you don't, you, obviously you get an immediate response in a drama too, but you know, you can just focus on being inside your feelings or inside your experience in, in, to a different degree. But when you try, when you're going for a response as you do in a comedy and don't get one, that is, uh, uh, it can't help but make you feel self-conscious. It can't help but make you feel like you've gotten some kind of admonishment from the audience or <laughs> rejection or whatever it is. And it's a very vulnerable position to be in. So for me, I want my actors to feel like they are not, you know, seeing a moment coming down the pike and being like, okay, here comes that thing where this, here comes that moment where I know that the audience is going to see that I'm a fraud and they're going to, here comes that joke. And the director told me to do it this way. And I said it a month ago, I said it was fine and I can make it work. And now I feel really awkward about it. And I can, every day it's like a, you know, a, a grain of sand in, in the gear shifts and whatever, and it becomes really painful. I'm trying to figure out how I can get everybody to feel excited and enjoy one another's work and have a game to play on stage. So when I'm looking in the rehearsal room, it's really about, um, finding where they seem confused or where they seem tentative or where they seem uh, afraid of something and, and that's the place to go to. Um, it's the same when I, as a viewer, feel bored uh, of what we're watching uh, and you know, to try to watch it fresh again and see where am I confused, where am I bored and, and see what we can do to uh, create something in that moment that um, will uh, uh, surprise or delight or excite or any number of things. So, uh, you know, that, that's essentially what I'm scanning for, I guess, as much as you can call that a process. And, and that's about predictability. That's about making sure that actors are feeling uh, clear and um, uh, like they, uh, that there's, there's, you know, uh, not a wall that they're hitting, but there's a kind of fractal image of things that they, as much as they're going into it, there's more to keep going into. You know, that moment when I think every direct, every artist knows that moment when you're in front of an audience in previews and it, and it doesn't work and it yeah. doesn't land. And, and so, and so, you know, I think with your new play work, you have the opportunity to work directly with a writer to see if there's something where you want to make a change there. Probably yeah. Noel Coward so much, but definitely with some of the other writers. Do you have that moment when you feel that 
moment as you're trying to be in the voice of the audience and something's not working, you know, is the first place you go to the playwright or do you look other places? Not necessarily. It may be a writing problem uh, and it may not be a writing problem. It may be the way that we are approaching that the scripts or that moment. Um, often the moment that you're feeling like you're losing the audience, the actual issue is the scene beforehand, you know, that hasn't set up that event in the best possible way. So we're not even sure what we should be looking for. So you're sort of fishing around looking for some vague event or whatever, but the actual issue is that we didn't set up the parameters or the circumstances for what the audience is, is how they're meant to, how we've taught them to engage that scene. So uh, in that respect, it's definitely on me. Uh, and I'm always sort of looking to see what, what can I do to bolster it? Because even when I'm working with a new playwright, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are open to changing things, or even if they are open to changing things, that they know how to change it for the better. Uh, I've certainly been in circumstances where writers have been unsure and just kind of moved laterally one way or another, but it's not necessarily for the better. Uh, and that can be a frustrating thing for everybody in the room. So we, I try to figure out what we, the actors and I can do first to help sell it and then identify what is it that we're missing or you know, what have you. So it's great when a writer feels able to dissect a work like that. It's, all, it's awesome. It, you know, um, sometimes though, dead playwrights are just as great as living ones you know, because they're not there to object if you cut something or move something around. And the estate, the Noel Coward estate, for example, was very generous in terms of letting us cobble together uh, different editions of the same play uh, because he had re rewritten Present Laughter, for example, several times over the course of his career. So we were able to sort of use what was working for this production. And then when he tweaked it for this other production, we were able to sort of use what he'd learned or, you know, restore something that was apologizing for some facet of that, that you know, later production or whatever it was to build towards what we were wanting to work on, you know, or what story we wanted to tell. Right. I also think one thing that's been interesting about your career is that you have directed a play multiple times in, as, as it moves or in different cities. It feels to me like that probably opens up some opportunities as well, right? Because you have a different audience or community you're speaking to. Yeah, you don't know. First of all, yes, absolutely. The audience changes, and that's something that you have to acclimate to. But also, you don't really understand what a play is and how it works until you have an audience. And at that point, you know, you have whatever number of previews you have, and it's a limited amount of time, actually, you know, to really work on something. So it, it becomes this sort of triage game of like, what do you, what can you accomplish in the time that you have, and how do you have the most effect uh, in previews? Um, so to have time away, to consider and think about, here were the values that I thought were important in building this production, and now that we have time to start the process again, I can actually question were those values the important things that we actually should have been building our show off of. When I did Hand to God, for example, when we did it off Off-Broadway at Ensemble Studio Theater, which is a 74-seat theater, and it was a new play, there were many things that were wonderful about it, there were many questions that we still had about it. You know, uh, we definitely leaned into it being a little bit more campy, and that felt very important to sort of, you know, there were some uh, salacious and and uh, surprising things that happened in the script and so we wanted the production physically to match that and uh, it, 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 it wouldn't have been possible for me to understand dissect recalibrate 
everything about that ESD production without having to step away from it, think about it, figure out what is it actually that the audience is responding to and taking away, you know, um, uh, and, and, and what is adding and what is distracting and how do I support further the things that are adding. If we hadn't had time in between to uh, consider that and reassess and all that. So doing a production multiple times helps tremendously. Um, and uh, you can learn quite a bit, you know, just by having that opportunity, I, ha I have to say. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see all of the New York iterations of Hand to God. And one thing that struck me that I think a lot of directors maybe don't do or, or, or think about as much as you do is uh, the conversation with designers to help you tell the story. And, and even though the set design didn't change, it did extrapolate to the various venues. I'm, I'm wondering how this question of, of how to make it work comes into your work with, with designers. Um, are they a resource for you? Of course, yeah. I mean, designers frame the production in a tremendous way. And as we move that production specifically, you know, we're going to increasingly larger theaters. So it's how do you create a really intimate experience uh, that started at a 74 seat theater and then eventually move it to a Broadway house, which was, so, you know, 790 some right. seats or whatever, right? So it's like, how, how does the set help you feel like you're really in the room with those people in the same possible way, if that's what you're going for, you know? Um, and uh, so we had a lot of conversations about, you know, how, how we frame it in that way and how the set helps us tell the story and the scale of it frames the people inside of it. Um, you know, the visual elements and, and design, I think, are an integral part of setting scale, setting tone, uh, and um, uh, giving, you know, giving some visual cue of what it is that we're experiencing. You know, to what degree is it larger than reality or does it want to sit squarely in reality or does it want to be in some kind of imaginative space or, you know, um, is it really not about the architecture or the environs uh, and it's really about the figures inside of it? You know, there's, there, there's big questions about how you frame the work uh, that uh, are endlessly fascinating for me and, and integral, I think, to building a successful production. The major uh, lingering memory I have of the Broadway production of Hand to God is how intimate it felt. How okay. I felt to Stephen and, and the work in, in a very vast frame. Um, I, I, you know, I thought it was a real achievement of, of what you're able to do there. It, it's also interesting when you started talking about your work a few minutes ago. You you said, uh, you know, I uh, maybe I'm paraphrasing, but that uh, I, I've done a lot of comedy and maybe I'm known for comedy. I'm, I, you know, when I think of your career and and maybe I've I, I've been watching a little longer than some other people on your work, but I I don't necessarily think of, I I think of you as as a director that's done a lot of things. Are there things you haven't been able to do in your career yet that you're dying to do? Playwrights or, or types of work or anything? Yes. Um, and, um, but I also feel really grateful for the work that I've got. Everything I've gotten to do has taught me a lot. And uh, I have been offered some things where it's been harder to figure out uh, how to engage the work and how I can be helpful to the work. And I definitely feel like I have been very rigorous or conscientious about 
not taking on those projects, which feel uh, vague or opaque to me in that way, only because I don't think I can be of service to those scripts, uh, those collaborators, those productions. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, I have to figure out how, you know, how I can have curiosity about it and how I can use the skills that I feel like I do bring um, and how the things that scare me about a production can be exciting challenges. Um, so in terms of the work that I would love to do, you know, I'd love to get really broad with some Durang um, and uh, especially Betty Summer Vacation is one that I would love to revive. Um, I would love to continue my wonderful relationship with Teresa Rebeck because she's a fantastic collaborator and we get along like gangbusters. Um, and I would love to revive her early play Spike Heels, um, which was about sexual harassment in the workplace at a moment where I don't know that we were ready to talk about it at that time. And now maybe, you know, are we? <laughs> Nothing's changed <laughs> or hopefully everything's changed. And yet there's that's still the, pro the, 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 the topic still seems like rife with nuance for us to engage. Um, so that's one that I would love to do. Uh, and there's a number of playwrights that I would love to um, begin a conversation with. So, uh, you know, I feel really grateful that I'm still very curious and passionate and excited about doing the work and we'll see if any of it still exists in a few months. Yeah, I just have to give a shout out to Spike Heels. I actually directed the Washington DC premiere of Spike Heels. Oh my gosh! And it's a fantastic play, if people don't know it. And and I agree with you. I think it could and probably should be done right now. I had a lovely time directing that play. I'd love to see it in your hands. That would be wonderful. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I would love to see your production of it too. It was really fun. It's it 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 is uh, it's the kind of work, and with all of Teresa's work, I think it, it the there's just layer upon layer underneath what you find. Yeah. Um, and and as rehearsals deepen, you just that it just keeps giving to you and to the yeah. actors. It's, it's really wonderful work. It makes me think though about when you said, you know, sometimes I have realized these plays aren't for me, and and one of my personal fascinations is that moment when a director encounters a play for the first time, especially a play that they are, are in conversation about directing. And um, I'd love to know, you know, what that, is it a first read experience? How do you sort of begin your process of, will I direct this play? And if so, what will I do? Because we'll never get that first impression back, right? We are like, we, we are always trying to get back to it as we come through the, the experience. Um, and it's our only moment where we are an audience member, where we are viewing it in that way. So I'm curious what your process is. Is it a first read or, or how do you encounter a play and how do you sort of decide, yes, this is something I can speak to or, or come to that conclusion, as you said, where it's, it's not, I'm not the right director for it. It's an instinctual level, I think. I mean, on one level, it's an instinctual uh, response about, you know, um, uh, am I curious enough about this world that I want to spend a month or, you know, in rehearsal and then many months, you know, in pre-production working on something like that? Uh, and, uh, you know, are, are, does the world feel clear enough? Do the characters feel clear enough? Do the events feel clear enough that I can uh, engage and empathize and explore in that in that realm. Um, so that's one facet of it. The other part is, what can I do with it? Can I be helpful to it? You know, if I try to imagine or envisage the uh, the production 
do I have any facets or tools that can somehow aid or, or uh, um, heighten or amplify or, you know, uh, support it? And, you know, between those two things, uh, I, I just have to sort of trust my gut on it. And sometimes it's sort of like in a middle ground place where I'm like, let me just talk to the playwright. Maybe I'm hearing this right. Maybe I'm not hearing it right or whatever it is. And we'll take the meeting first to sort of figure it out, to have a conversation about it. And other times I just kind of know, and hopefully nobody takes it personally um, because I really only want to, if I turn something down, it's only because I, I don't think they're going to be suited, you know, with me as their leader in, in some way, it's gonna not be a, a productive experience. So, you know, ho hopefully nobody's caught unawares. But there are moments where I take something on and can potentially find myself in an uh-oh place of trying to figure out, okay, great, I've now taken this on. Maybe I knew ahead of time this facet of the show was gonna scare the hell out of me or not. For example, I did, uh, Larissa Fast Horses, the Thanksgiving play of Playwrights Horizons. And uh, in between a more naturalistic or farcical story, there were these interstitial little vignettes of things that happened that she had essentially rewritten uh, text or songs or poems uh, in the style that she had uh, found um, in teaching syllabi for you know how white teachers or you know or um, Eurocentric teachers will talk about Thanksgiving and the relationship with Native Americans, um, and it was just kind of raw text, and it was a question of like what to do with those things, and we wrestled with that. That scared the hell out of me, and was a big struggle, partly because I think she meant for them to be jarring and off-putting and potentially abrasive, and yet also delightful. And keeping that balance together was tricky for me because I definitely value accessibility. I definitely value delight and uh, something that is welcoming to an audience, uh, even if it's shocking or um, startling. And so how, uh, how to hold the satire and the abrasiveness and also refreshing our theatrical palette of surprise, here's another thing that you didn't expect to see coming, was a big challenge. And I felt very vulnerable about that whole aspect of the production. And it's fascinating because the Thanksgiving play is one of the most produced plays in the country. Uh, and it's really interesting because she has not been prescriptive about how those vignettes should be staged, how other people are doing them. And everyone's doing them very, very differently. And I've been keenly looking at other productions to see, oh, that's curious, because I know that that was a big challenge for me as an artist. So I'm very curious to see how other people have tackled it. And I've found that to be, often I've done that with shows that I've done to sort of go see what other people are doing with it. Uh, usually more after the fact than beforehand, you know? Um, but uh, it's always really interesting to see what other people do. Yeah, well, one of the great delights of seeing your production of, of the Thanksgiving play was I had read it before I saw it. And, and, and these interstitial moments are, are, as you say, kind of open-ended to how they get staged in some way. And so going to your production, I, it was not at all what I had thought of in my head as, as, as what with those moments, but it, but it, they were wonderful. And I just, when writers really give that kind of freedom, it's astonishing to sort of see what's possible in that moment. Yeah. I 
uh, want to get a little bit before we finish to talking about uh, how you developed as a director. You know, our, at the Drama League, we work with a lot of early career directors and directors who are, want to hear from directors like you on, on how you got to where you got. Um, one of the things that I think is um, most useful when having that conversation is to talk about the other directors that um, had influence on you. I think listening to you talk today, I think you have a very unique style to your room and your collaborations, but I also know that you assisted a lot early in your career, um, especially a number of productions with Mark Brokaw. I'm curious what, from the directors that you assisted at that point in your career, you've brought into your process? What, what influence, if any, did they have on you in that way? I assisted a lot of people. Um, I, didn't, I didn't have a trust fund. I didn't have the money to uh, self-produce. Even when I was running Studio 42, it was always a giant slog to figure out how to raise money. Uh, and um, that was our biggest challenge at all times. So, you know, self-producing is a really, really great way to cut your teeth because you can be practicing your craft. And I think practicing your craft is the most important thing you can be doing, uh, which I tried to do in every way that I possibly could, whether it was working with students at universities or doing shows in really tiny down, you know, hole in the wall kind of theaters, whatever I could do uh, to just keep cutting my teeth. But yes, assisting was definitely one of those things. And I got to assist uh, a lot of really terrific people, including Mark Brokaw and Nikki Martin uh, were two of the people I assisted more often. Um, Anna Shapiro, Darko Tresniak, uh, and um, any, many, many other, many, many other directors as well. And I think the thing that uh, I took away um, most importantly is kindness and openness and generosity. Those are the things I strive for at the very least. You know, I'm sure there are people I've encountered who probably would say like, yeah, you could keep going, you could keep working on that. But I, definitely those are the things that I think are, are most helpful when everyone's in a very vulnerable place and we're all muddling through and trying to key into something that uh, can be most conducive to an open conversation uh, and can allow us to somehow figure out, you know, how do we find each other? And how do we find the story? And how do we find the audience? So th that's definitely the things that I've tried to take away most of all, I think, from those guys. It's a tricky thing. But I would also say, in addition to the people that I assisted, you know, it's, I felt very aware of my peers. Uh, I probably felt even more aware of them because uh, I knew they were able to self-produce. Not all of them, but, but, but many of the people who I probably consider my peers were, uh, had the ability somehow, either because they were better fundraisers than me or but because they um, had access to uh, individuals who could donate in a way that I didn't. Um, they were able to cut their teeth uh, faster and more often than I had been able to do. And I felt very aware of the kind of work they were doing and very aware of who was accelerating based on the voice that they were finding. Not that it should, that I should emulate or replicate any of the peers that I was finding around me, but it was really informative to see how they were approaching things and what 
and how that affected the audience experience one way or the other. And I think most of all, the thing that's important is to figure out what your values are and what you want the audience experience to be in some way and how your storytelling influences that, whether it's by being loud, boisterous, surprising, of epic scale, maximalist, whatever, or whether it's to be quiet and introspective and naturalistic and personal and, um, uh, and, and not rushed. Uh, or, or anything in between, whatever it is that your values or your, however your voice comes through. I didn't, I didn't feel attuned to that when I first came out of college. I had some inklings and, and um, instinct about it, but I really needed to just do it a lot of times in order to figure out what those values were for me. And seeing how my peers were approaching that question of finding their voice was incredibly informative. Um, and pushed me. And so I sometimes people find themselves in communities where they are isolated. And I think that's one of the great things that is fantastic about the Drama League is to bring directors in conversation with one another, to have those kinds of conversations. But also, even if you're not a member of the Drama League or a fellow of the, you know, recipient of the fellowship of the Drama League, if you're in a community where you can be in conversation with other directors, or even if you're not having coffee with them or beers or whatever, that you can be seeing as much work as possible and identifying, you know, what's working, what's not working. Uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that like, you should find something beautiful in every production. I think sometimes it's most informative to find out what's not working about a production and to try to learn from that. Not in a snide, I could do a better kind of way, but like, great. So if I found myself in that position in these circumstances, what could I do to navigate that? Uh, can be a potentially helpful thing as well. So all of that, I think, were incredibly formative for me. And I'm still learning. I, I really don't, you know, you talk to me about like that I'm some successful director that's come through the program and I feel very blessed to have had the opportunities and successes that I've had uh, for whatever success means. But I definitely still feel like there is, uh, every time I start a new show, it's, you know, um, I have more confidence, but I, uh, uh, there's still a lot for me to learn, and until we've actually built it, it's not anything, you know? You're only as good as your last seven at-bats, <laughs> as they say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I think directing, a part of the reason the Drama League exists is because it's a lifelong journey. Like, you're, 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 we continue to learn with every single production, with every single rehearsal, and, you know, um, that lesson of kindness it seems to inform the way you're approaching your work today and will continue to deepen. I'm wondering if there's like something that young, early, first or second time up at bat, Moritz, uh, if there's something you uh, wished he had known at that point, is there any lesson you've got now that you're like, wow, I wish I'd known that, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, for me, I think I got to New York and I was an incredibly ambitious, ambitious young man and I put all the, the, the list of all the off-Broadway companies on my wall and like as a kind of vision board. And I was like, I'm gonna work at five of these in the next five years or whatever. And this was still at the time where you didn't send out your resume via email, you would send a hard copy because that's what was professional. And I think I invested God knows how much money in terms of sending out my resume with like agonizing over cover letters and whatever, saying like, I'm in New York and I'm a young director and you should hire me, whatever. And it's like, you know, I got zero response, I think, you know, <laughs> like there was like no interest. They're like, yeah, pal, you and everybody else, you know, get over yourself. And I think um, 
the lesson I have taken from that now looking backwards is that my investment in trying to impress the gatekeepers or trying to uh, um, get my foot in the door with the gatekeepers isn't the thing that helped launch me. Um, it was my relationship with my peers. Finding my uh, finding artists of uh, who shared my values or shared the kind of work that I was excited about, finding them and then making work together however we could do it. Uh, I did a, a show in a bodega once, which I don't recommend to anybody, but I did it. So, um, and you know, like, uh, because we just needed to just make stuff. And, and not knowing that me being, you know, friendly with an actor at a party, that they would eventually go off and start a theater company with their other actor friends and then hire me. I couldn't have known that. But I think that's where just being connected to your community and trying to offer yourself in service to other people. You know, there were other instances which if I were to actually look back, I booked a job because I met a person because I offered to help install their set or hang their lights and then I, because of that, I met this other person and then we continued a relationship or a friendship that eventually led to a job. How could I have known? They just said, hey, we need someone to help us hang these lights. And I was like, sure, I can climb a ladder. Yes, I, I will, you know what I mean? And that somehow if you can, we're all of us trying to figure out how we get a foothold. And um, if people think you can be helpful to them uh, and that you guys can be a team somehow, then that is a very, uh, that will draw people to one another um, because that's what collaboration is, is that we can help one another somehow. Um, and, you know, I think I, I do look at my role as one of trying to be in service. Uh, and yes, I, I, you know, it is required of me to sort of, you know, take control of a room and, and um, lead, but I hope to do so from a position of ultimately bringing out uh, the best of what a production can be. That's the goal anyway. And I do it with as much humility as I can and with the acknowledgement that it's not ever perfect. Um, but doing that in your community first and with your peers first, I think is the thing that really helped me get a foothold from the very beginning. That's great. Uh, I know we're almost out of time, but I do want to end with one question about inspiration in this moment when we're not seeing any theater and anything, I wonder if you might share with us a production you've seen in your life that really uh, inspired you fully and- and, and oh, Totally, yeah. Um, you did not direct, someone else. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to be my own inspiration. Um, uh, you know, totally, I, I, I hadn't thought that. I, you know, there were two productions that I saw when I was studying abroad in London, one of which was in New York recently, um, although I hadn't seen it recently, hopefully it still holds up to the glory of what it was, but you can also see it on YouTube, was uh, Slava Snow Show, uh, which is a Russian clown show um, that uh, also lives in, the, uh, in, a, in a world of poetry and existentialism that I, and using a vocabulary beyond language that uh, I found really inspiring because it was visual, because it was emotional, um, and because it was so precise and efficient and yet fluid and open and graceful. Uh, I love that production. You can see it on YouTube and, and I recommend everybody do it. And another one that I saw that was influential was the uh, musical adaptation of Shock-Headed Peter, 
that I think was over here at some point or whatever, uh, with the music by the Tiger Lilies who did the music. And it's based on a German children's book that I grew up reading. Uh, my grandmother used to read to me that scared the hell out of me. And I don't think I slept after she would read it to me because it's essentially what happens to children when they are naughty. Uh, and, and as a sort of 19th century German children's book, nothing good happens to them. That's sort of not, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> that's sort of like a cultural lesson in 19th century, century German child rearing <laughs> as much as anything. Um, but uh, the way that they created a visual landscape too, it just opened up possibilities that um, theater can exist on a scale that's even larger than what we might see in our daily lives and exist in the space of imagination that's thrilling, um, that is uniquely theatrical, unique to the theatrical space that film and television cannot do, um, and really exciting for an audience to engage with and, and collectively be a part of. Uh, I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, I know that we're, we're going to face a period where we may be tentative to be in big groups again, for sure, or we may have to figure out other ways of creating work uh, who knows? Um, but I think the 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 human uh, 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 instinct for storytelling and engaging in storytelling and engaging the imagination uh, is always going to exist. And uh, you know, I, I can say that with some confidence at this moment and nothing else <laughs> at this moment. But but I hope that if you're watching this months from now, things are you know, going really well, really well. And I hope everyone's safe and healthy and doing well at this moment. Me too. Um, I just want to tell everyone, you have a great website. If you want to know more about Moritz's work, it's M-O-R-I-T-Z-V-S uh, dot com. It, and um, I just want to thank you for being here. I, I, it's my pleasure. I'm glad you're safe. I'm glad you're with your family. And uh, I look forward to seeing your work again on stage very, very soon. Thanks. <laughs>